Coming up on the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks, we're talking everything offensive line today, including whether or not the Seahawks made the right decision moving on from offensive line coach Mike Solari. Thanks for listening in. We've got a jam-packed episode coming your way. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Hope everyone enjoyed yesterday's Super Bowl thriller between the Bengals and the Rams. Unfortunately, NFC West rival for the Seahawks taking home the Lombardi Trophy. With the big game down in the rearview mirror, all 32 teams heading into offseason mode. Tons of free agency and draft-related content coming your way here on the podcast today. Rob and I are going to be diving into one of Seattle's biggest name free agents that will be hitting the market in March. And we'll also be taking a look at which position is most important to get an upgrade along the offensive line in free agency. JPEG show coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks made a stunning move on Friday, moving on from offensive line coach Mike Solari. They are expected to replace him with Andy Dickerson, who served as the run game coordinator for Seattle a year ago. Seems like a pretty seamless transition there, one that was kind of expected, but The timing was a little bit weird on this, Rob. I think a lot of people anticipated that any coaches that were fired, it would have happened weeks ago after the season finale. And yet Seattle waited all the way into February, almost to the Super Bowl before making this decision. At the end of the day, how do you feel about this decision by the Seahawks, by Pete Carroll? Was this the right move or was this one that maybe they might regret? You know, I'm I'm a little conflicted on this in Corbin because uh, I, I think like you that uh, I think that we both believe that Mike Solari is is a terrific coach. Uh, you know, I, I often will use the expression "the proof is in the pudding." Well, the pudding has been pretty good with, with Mike Solari and just about everywhere that he has gone. Of course, this was his second tour of duty with the Seahawks, um, and you know, just you just look at the statistics of when Mike Solari came in. And, and he was really productive immediately, or his blockers were productive immediately, I guess I should say. Uh, but at the same time, while I am conflicted and do believe that Mike Solari is a terrific coach, I also thought that this was somewhat predictable just because of the fact that you had Andy Dickerson, um, who was brought over with Shane Waldron um, you know, as part of that just transition on the offensive side of the football uh, a year ago. And, and I really thought that you have two coaches in Dickerson and Solari who basically are preaching different strategies along the offensive line. And it was one of the things that we talked about a year ago about how is this actually going to be able to work out? You have Solari who, who generally is like the big, 
physical maulers at the point of attack. Dickerson, you just saw it with, uh, just last night with, with the Rams Super Bowl victory, um, a Rams offensive line that Dickerson helped put in place. I mean, they're smaller guys, quicker guys. That's their game, a little bit more zone blocking. So how are they going to be able to coexist? And I think that we saw some of that Jekyll and Hyde type of uh, you know approach, and, and sometimes it worked out pretty well for Seattle. But sometimes there were some some real issues uh, blocking along their offensive line this past season. So on, on the one hand, again, I I, I wish Mike Solari well because I think he's a terrific coach, um, and I do think that Seattle may miss his experience. At the same time, I also thought this was a fairly predictable move because you you just have two coaches who, again, have different viewpoints on how things should run. And I thought that it made sense to see how go with the younger uh, younger line line coach whose uh, fund or whose beliefs tie in a little bit better with the, the offensive coordinator Shane Waldrop. This is all about streamlining things because I, from what I've been told, there was no ill will between Mike Solari and Andy Dickerson or Shane Waldron for that matter. The three of them worked harmoniously this past season. They were able to make things work. And the way the run game was popping late in the year, you know, I started to think a few weeks ago because this was a move I thought might happen at the end of the year, just for the reason you mentioned, because you had conflicting philosophies, conflicting styles. I expected there was a chance that Solari was going to get jettisoned out of the season. But after a month following week 18, I thought, okay, at this point, it looks like the Seahawks are comfortable moving forward with this arrangement. And the way they ended the season, it seemed like, you know what, maybe they can make this work. Maybe they can take some pieces of one philosophy, mix it with another, and they can mesh this and it can really work. But at the end of the day, Shane Waldron's been coaching with Andy Dickerson since the early 2000s. These guys have known each other a long time, even though they're younger coaches. Really, since they started coaching, they have been together on the same staff. And so that relationship, that rapport really matters, especially when you're considering the two of them have very similar ideological viewpoints when it comes to the run game. And so you don't want too many. We talked about this last week on defense that you can have too many cooks in the kitchen on defense and make it work. I think on offense, it's a lot harder, especially with the offensive line. When you have two coaches that are preaching different types of technique or they're preaching different types of skill sets. And so I think that this was a move that ultimately did need to happen. I'm surprised that it happened this late in the off season, but maybe the Seahawks were trying to work through this for several weeks, wondering, is this the right move or not? Because this is a really good football coach. At the end of the day, though, they decided, you know what? We're going to hand the keys over full-time to Andy Dickerson. There were players talking about his impact at the end of the season. So maybe that run game popping had more to do with his presence than it did necessarily Mike Solari at this point. I think when you look at the numbers, and I put an article up on Seahawk Maven dissecting all the reasons why this ultimately was the right move for the Seahawks to make, but this was an offensive line, Rob, that did improve under Mike Solari. Immediately, they were the number three pass blocking team and pass block win rate for ESPN in 2018, third out of 32 teams. And they had several other seasons where they finished in the top 15 in that metric. This line got better with Mike Solari being here. He is a good football coach, a great football coach, but they were never able to take it to that next level. We never saw this truly become a top 10 pass protecting line. And I thought they regressed a little bit this year after playing pretty well in 2020 
So that made the writing on the wall. When you consider the run game had plateaued, especially the run blocking seemed like it flatlined over the years. They never were able to take that next step forward as a run blocking unit with the additions that were made, the investments they made in the draft and free agency trades, you name it. It just seemed like this group kind of hit a wall and Mike Slari was not able to get them to the next level. So you consider those issues and the fact that Andy Dickerson and Shane Waldron are going to be able to work together seamlessly it just seemed like the writing was really on the wall. No, I, I agree with you. And, and I think that uh, another thing that um, that we have not talked about is, is just the, the relative age uh, of these coaches. Uh, with Solari in his upper 60s, um, with uh, uh, Andy Dickerson uh, in his low 40s, uh, I, I think that that has been one of the priorities that, that, that Pete Carroll has you know, just kind of placed here recently. I mean, we, we, we saw it uh, on the other side of the ball. Um, you know, with the young defensive back coaches that they're bringing in here. Um, I, again, I think that there is just kind of this push to get a little bit younger, maybe able to have some coaches who can identify with their players a little bit more. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing that basically take over all of the NFL at the head coaching position. Uh, I think that Pete Carroll is basically living vicariously through his young assistant coaches at this point and, and just hoping that maybe that that might be able to spark that much imp more improved play uh, from his offensive line as well. We'll see what happens down the road right now. The Seahawks is, I'm sure this was a tough decision for Pete Carroll because he has a great relationship with Mike Solari. And as I said, this is not an indictment on the coach that Mike Solari is. He, he has been a very good line coach for a long time, but I do think that the age factor is one worth noting because that seems to be a, a big priority. As you mentioned on both sides of the ball in this coaching search, get some more energy, get some younger voices out there on the field and on your coaching staff. And they're doing that with the offensive line too. Really at the end of the day though, to me, this is mostly just about streamlining the offense. And I feel like that's a lot more important even on offense than defense. You can have a D line coach that's involved coordinating the run game on defense. You can have a secondary coach that handles passing game. It feels like in the offensive side of the ball, you really need to have limited voices that are calling those shots. So you want to have that streamlined approach. We'll see if this ends up working out. Maybe it doesn't for the Seahawks. No regret making this decision. But for the reasons you and I both outlined, this seems like this was the only move that the Seahawks could make, albeit a lot later than we anticipated that they would. We're going to go back to free agency here in a few moments. DJ Reed's been a revelation for the Seahawks, but has he potentially played his way out of Seattle? We'll have to wait and see on that. You and I will be debating why he's going to be back in Seattle, why he might be out the door heading elsewhere when we come back here in a moment. This is the time of year that I've pretty much given up on all my New Year's resolutions. I can tell you that I'm having a really hard time, but this year I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. If you've tried the new Built Bar Puffs, they are absolutely delicious. It's been my go-to snack before lifting weights or running. First ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallow-y. Marshmallowy, there's marshmallows on steroids, and it's not your normal protein bar. It tastes like a treat, covered in 100% real chocolate and amazing flavors. Cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie, they are going to be your favorites. All built bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. That includes puffs, low calorie, high protein. Replace your candy bars with these, they are better. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. At Built Bar, they're all about the taste. They make it taste delicious first, then figure out how to make it healthy. 
And I don't know how, but they pull it off every time. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. That's LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. With the Super Bowl now in the rearview mirror, all 32 teams shifting their approaches to free agency. And that's going to be starting on March 16th. So honestly, Rob, it's going to be here before you know it. Everybody's like, oh, the Super Bowl's over. There's no action, no football games till August. But there's going to be plenty of action in off-season mode coming here in coming days and weeks. Free agency officially starting on March 16th. One of the Seahawks' biggest names that is going to be set to hit the market DJ Reed, they claimed him off waivers from the 49ers two years ago. This is the guy the 49ers are trying to stash because he had a significant injury, thought he was going to miss the entire 2020 season. The Seahawks wisely decided to claim him, and he was back in action after missing just six games, and he has honestly been one of the biggest surprises for the Seahawks in a good way the last two years, and he's proven you don't have to be tall and have long arms to succeed in this outside corner in Pete Carroll's defense. Yeah, he has been an absolute revelation for Seattle. You know, Corbin, when, when people complain about, uh, you know, Seattle's inability to, to hit on all their draft picks, hit on all of their, their, their trades or their, their free agent signings, DJ Reed to me is one of the, the names that you have to mention. You have to give John Schneider and his pro scouts a, a great deal of credit um, because, as you said, they, they basically stole him. Um, not only from the San Francisco 49ers, but from many of the other NFL teams out there who did have a chance to put a waiver claim in on him. And, and, and of course, not nobody that was lower in the, you know, in the rankings at that point than Seattle did. So um, Seattle took him and, and DJ Reed has wound up becoming the, the best cornerback for the Seahawks in the past year and a half, uh, you know? And, and so I, I've been just super impressed by what he has been able to do. Um, but the fact that he is a pending free agent, he is just wrapping up his uh, four year contract that, he signed with San Francisco after being a you know a day three draft pick out of Kansas State a couple of years ago, as you mentioned with San Francisco 49ers. So DJ Reed is going to be looking to break the bank as much as he possibly can. There's going to be a lot of people out there going to say, "Oh, he he's going to want to come back. He, he's maybe he's built a home or is living here in Seattle, feels comfortable here, knows the defense. He might just take that quote unquote hometown discount. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that he is going to be trying to get every single penny he possibly can. And the fact that the free safety behind him, Quandre Diggs, suffered the injury that he did in Seattle's last game, I think that's all the more reason why uh, why DJ Reed is going to absolutely try to strike while the iron is hot. Yeah, this is a league where you only get so many opportunities to make your money, especially when you're a former sixth-round pick. So I do think that that is something of note. Looking back at the season that he just put together, started 14 games, obviously missed one with COVID at a couple other games where he was dealing with some issues. But DJ Reed had a fantastic season. 78 tackles, had a pair of interceptions. Both of them came against the Detroit Lions and their backup quarterback, Tim Boyle. So that's worth noting. But he had 10 pass defense, passes defense this year. And what's most impressive is what happened after he shifted back to right corner. He did not play well the first three games of the year at the left side. He just didn't look comfortable. He's never looked as comfortable on the left side. But they moved him back to the right side in week four against his former team, the 49ers. Played really well that game. From week four on, 
His passer rating against him was below 67. So that's a pretty darn good number. The completion percentage was below 47%. That is really impressive. He was among league leaders in yards after the catch or limiting yards after the catch when receivers made plays against him and covered. So it was flat out impressive. Did everything the Seahawks asked him to do. He played really good special teams the year before. They didn't have him doing as much with that this year because he was a starter. But you can make an argument. The interceptions aren't necessarily there, but a lot of the other numbers, when you look at the completion rate, the passer rating against, that he played like a top 10, top 12 cornerback in the NFL in the last 13, 14 weeks of the season. The numbers bear that out. The film bears it out. His technique is outstanding. He plays with the aggressiveness that Pete Carroll Carroll's looking for. He's got great quickness. All those traits have allowed him to succeed in this scheme that for a long time, I think people thought if you don't have length and you don't have height, you're not going to be able to play in this system. Again, DJ Reed has proven people wrong. And so that makes me wonder with him being just 25 years old, coming off a finish to this season, the way he played last year, the second half of the season for the Seahawks, him being a young player that I think still got his best football in front of him. The Seahawks couldn't afford to bring Shaquille Griffin back last year you can make an argument DJ Reed is a better overall corner at this point than what Shaquille Griffin was going into free agency. Maybe not the athlete, maybe not the size, but in terms of being a pure corner, he might be a better player and he's hitting free agency at roughly the same age. So I think there will be a very healthy market for him next month. I I do expect there to be a a strong market for him. Um, As you just mentioned with uh, Shaquille Griffin, again, I mean, you're talking about a guy who ran the four threes and he's a six footer with those long arms and everything. There is just so many more teams out there who were willing to, uh, you know, to to pay top dollar for for that type of a cornerback. Um, You know, DJ Reed, it's funny because as you just described, he does not look like your typical Seahawk cornerback in terms of his height, in terms of his arm length, in terms of the ball skills but my goodness does he play like a seahawk cornerback i mean that's one of the things we've talked about corbin is that Pete carroll has always prioritized uh you know a, a certain level of aggression from their cornerbacks they have to be able to come up and run support and for a smaller player dj reed plays like a like a seven footer i mean he he just plays with that physicality that tenacity um, you know, and he does have like a lot of smaller corners does have that, that, that quickness, that, that, that fluidity in his hips to be able to change direction. They, they just, you know, biologically have a little bit, uh, better ease of, of transition and acceleration than, than taller cornerbacks do. And so I think that that to me is one of the most exciting things about Seattle, uh, Seattle and the, the fact that they did have some success with these smaller cornerbacks is I think it just kind of opened up their eyes a little bit to the fact that you can be successful on the outside in this, in this system, especially given all the speedsters that you're seeing at the wide receiver uh, position. Now you have to be able to match up athletic ability, not just size, but athletic ability with these guys. DJ Reed certainly did that. So I think that he is going to be among Seattle's top priorities to resign. But at the same time, as we just talked about, I think that it's going to be difficult to do so because I think that he really truly is going to try to exhaust every single opportunity he can get every single nickel that he can. The one thing that's working uh, against him a little bit here is again, the lack of that, that elite size and the fact that we are staring at one of the great cornerback classes in terms of the NFL draft that I've seen in a long, long time. 
And so some of these free agents out there, Corbin, they're not going to get the dollars that they might be anticipating uh, just because of the fact that there's a lot of rookies coming in. They're going to be stealing some opportunities. And I think that that's why I expect him to be back in a Seahawks uniform next year. I, I see a lot of parallels I just mentioned to what Shaquille Griffin's market was looking like, but I still think that there are going to be teams that are going to look at the fact he's 5'9 and around 185, 190 pounds. They're going to look at that size, the lack of length, and I, I think that there are going to be teams that, you know, maybe if he was an inch or two taller that they'd be interested. I don't know they're going to throw the offers at him that they would for a player like Shaquille Griffin, who does have the height and length advantage over a player like DJ Reed. And I think that this draft class, as you've mentioned time and time again, the more film that I have watched this group, not only do you have some real studs at the top, it's just a deep cornerback group. A lot of underclassmen that are the best players in this group as well. And so teams are going to be salivating at the chance to draft those corners and get them on rookie contracts. So I think that it is going to happen. I think DJ Reed is going to come back on a multi-year deal. I don't know that Seattle's going to be able to fit in all the corners they got on free agency right now, but I think DJ Reed has proven that he can be a starting corner for the long term. The coaches love him. His teammates love him. He's a leader. His special teams value. He can play in the slot too. I think that as long as his price point does not exceed eight or nine million per year, if it exceeds that, I think the Seahawks will probably bow out. But I just don't see his price reaching that. So I think a three-year, around $26, 27000000 million deal, I think John Schneider would sign off on that immediately if he could get DJ Reed at that price. And I think he's got a good chance to pull that off. I, I would agree with you at that price. Um, you know, I was just kind of looking at, at some of the numbers here. The, you know, if you just look at the, the, what the top 20 cornerbacks in the NFL are, are averaging, Corbin, we're, we're talking north of $10 million. Um, and so I, I do think that there is a chance that uh, that DJ Reed gets an, op, uh, an offer there that is going to be in that nine, 10, 11 million dollar type of range. It's again, get, you know, 20 million like Jalen Ramsey. Of course not. But we, we've mentioned Shaquille Griffin here a couple of times. I mean, his deal is averaging 13 and 13 million, three hundred thirty three thousand dollars uh, per season. So I, I do certainly do not expect DJ Reed to get anything like that. But to me, this is one of those where I think that the Seahawks and Josh Schneider want DJ Reed back, but I think that they also have to have a number. And I think that number has got to be right around 10 million. And if DJ Reed gets more than that, then he may wind up playing somewhere else in, in 22 as much as uh, it, it might hurt Seattle if that is indeed the case. Yeah, I think you and I are on the same page here. If it goes beyond that $9, $10 million per year threshold, if it's pushing into double digits, I, I think John Schneider is going to be more willing to consider bringing back Sidney Jones at a cheaper price and going and drafting a corner because they have other needs they need to address. And they've shown that they can coach up corners like they did with DJ Reed, bringing them from out of nowhere. And so, you know, you're, you're playing a little bit of a game of luck there, a little bit of a gamble by trying to constantly do that. But that might be what they do in that situation. I just think he's going to be just cheap enough that John Schneider is going to be able to retain him. We'll have to wait and see. That's one of the big question marks for the Seahawks heading into free agency next month. It's Makeover Mondays. We do each and every week. We tackle a pressing roster-related topic. It's all about the offensive line today and what the Seahawks might do in free agency. Looking forward to a little bit of discussion and debate about the left tackle center and right tackle openings for the Seahawks here in a moment. 
Bet online is you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Football season's officially over, but there's other sports. Baseball, we're hoping it's going to be back soon. Basketball as well. A bunch of sports playing as they march to the playoffs. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline has up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live real-time updates of current games. Don't wait to take advantage of the new amazing offers available for the 2022 season. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's Makeover Monday. We've been doing this for the last couple of weeks. We'll be doing it throughout the offseason, looking at roster-related topics, some pressing ones at that. We've already covered Dwayne Brown's contract situation. We've looked at Bobby Wagner, what his future might hold. Now we're going to go back to the offensive line and – We've, we were talking about maybe doing this a few weeks from now, but I think that we had to jump it up because it feels like this happens year in, year out. We get past the Super Bowl, and it just becomes obvious. We have it clarified to us again that these games are more or less won in the trenches. Obviously, quarterback play is critical. Tackling is critical. Defensive back play in today's NFL is critical, but trench play, offensive, defensive lines, win football games. Last year, we saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do it against Kansas City. And this year, particularly in the second half, it was the Aaron Donald show. And how about the Rams' pass protection for Matthew Stafford? He's not making no-look passes to Cooper Cup if he doesn't have time to make those throws. So I thought the Rams dominated in the trenches on both sides of the football, and that's why they were ultimately able to win. It's another lesson to the Seahawks that this is where you need to be building your football team. You need to get your trenches on par with other contenders if you want to compete for a Lombardi trophy. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, you could say that it's a lesson for the Seahawks. I think it's a lesson for Seahawks fans out there that, that just believe that it's all about the skill position players and they kind of lose sight of the, of the line of scrimmage, um, you know, and, you know, we just kind of brushed on this, uh, but but kudos to the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, I think that they they did a fantastic job. I mean, if not for a couple of fluky touchdowns that the the Bengals scored, um, then I think that that game could have been a a, a blowout uh, for the Los Angeles Rams, especially because, as you just mentioned, the way that they dominate, especially the Rams' defensive line, the way it just you know battered and bruised up. Uh, Joe Burrow and, and, and held Joe Mixon, uh, you know, pretty much contained him as well. And I think we saw the, the, what a dynamic talent that, that Joe Mixon is for the Cincinnati Bengals. So to me, this is a is, is a conversation that, that the Seahawks have to have every single year. Every NFL team has to have this. But considering the transition that we talked about in the, in the first segment there, uh, that the Seahawks are going to have at the offensive line uh, coach position, but considering the fact that, uh, you know, the Russell Wilson, this is the first First game, the first season, off season, excuse me, in which he is coming off of an injury in his NFL career. Um, and again, considering that you're going to be going up against the Super Bowl champions here, who still have Aaron Donald, unless he decides to, uh, you know, answer uh, Seahawk fans' prayers and, and retire a little bit early, then uh, I think that this is going to be a, a critical position for Seattle to really focus in on. Um, and, and so, especially when you consider that, um, as you mentioned in our opening, that the Seattle has big decisions to make at the center position, obviously, one that are, you know, a lot of the locked on Seahawks fans uh, believe 
believe is the most important position to focus in on. But you have a, a pending free agent and Dwayne Brown at the left tackle position. Is Jake Curhan the answer at the right tackle position? Uh, I think these are all fascinating topics here. I'm kind of eager to break this one down, not only today, but but moving forward. As we do each and every week, we dish out this question early on Monday so that our listeners can get input. And today's question, if you can only spend big bucks in free agency on one of the three openings in Seattle's offensive line, which one would you choose? So obviously left tackle, center, and right tackle. Rob, you and I predicted this was going to be the case, but center won this by an overwhelming majority, more than 70%. Of our 590 votes that we got today were for the center position. And not surprising, when you consider how John Schneider played this last offseason, we questioned it at the time, and it looked even worse the season progressed, not picking Creed Humphrey or not signing a bigger name like a Corey Lindsley in free agency or going after somebody like David Andrews from the Patriots didn't have much of a market miraculously, and he had a really good year going back to New England. They had opportunities to upgrade the center position, and yet they brought back Ethan Posick and they brought back Kyle Fuller. That was the last thing most fans wanted. They wanted to see an upgrade at the position, and yet John Schneider in the front office decided not to do that. You had Dwayne Brown and Brandon Shell coming back at the tackle positions. Now both of them are going to be unrestricted free agents next month. So is Ethan Posick. So again, all three of those spots are open. So I really think that the question here is, knowing that the Seahawks, we just talked about how much money DJ Reed might cost to resign. We've talked about Quandre Diggs. There's only so much money to go around. And the Seahawks, yeah, they might have 30 plus million in cap space, but that is going to dry up fast. They're not going to be able to go out and spend big bucks to upgrade all of these spots on the offensive line. So I truly believe that it's going to be one position in free agency with an outside free agent that they might be able to address. They're not going to be able to do it with multiple spots unless they're signing low-tier guys, and fans don't want that either. So at the end of the day, it just boils down to which position of those three does it make the most sense to spend your free agent dollars, your limited free agent money, to try to upgrade. And I think you can make an argument for all three of these spots. Well, I think you can make that argument. Again, I, I'm a big believer in what Jake Curran showed already. I, I think that that right tackle position is one that you, you should feel good about uh, just with the way that he played as well as the fact that he is going to be on a very, very cost-effective uh, contract here for the next three years. I think that's something that Seattle absolutely is kind of keeping in its back pocket and is feeling really good about that. Um, but at the same time, at the left tackle position, if you do bring back Dwayne Brown, then that might just take up all that money that we had just talked about. There's not going to be a lot of dollars there that you might be able to push over to that center position. And I just have a hard time believing that Seattle is not going to bring back Dwayne Brown or perhaps go for a younger, more athletic version of Dwayne Brown, perhaps like a Toronto Armstead from the New Orleans Saints, for example, a Cam Robinson from the Jacksonville Jaguars, for example. Now, you just asked me my opinion as far as who are some of the players that I like. I personally would love to see Seattle throw some dollars at Ryan Jensen, the center from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He is a little bit older, but he is super physical. He plays with the kind of nastiness that I think that the Seattle has not 
not had in the interior of their offensive line, at least at the center position for quite some time. And I'll throw out one other name out there just because it's kind of interesting that he has now proven his health and had a pretty solid year last year. And that be former Seahawk Justin Britt, who also was a free agent. And obviously there's a great deal of familiarity there as well. Yeah, those are both names that I think are worth discussing. And maybe that's not what Seahawks fans want to hear. But, I mean, Justin Britt was a reliable mid-level center. And I think he had a decent year in Houston. Still not a super old player by any means either. Jensen would make sense. I think that he's a player the Buccaneers might have a hard time keeping because of their salary cap situation. So he's a name to keep an eye on. Ben Jones from the Tennessee Titans is a player that's a little bit older but he's still a very good player that would fit what the Seahawks like to do. But really the name that jumps out, I don't think the Seahawks are going to go make the splashy signing on the offensive line, personally. I don't think they're going to be going out and signing a guy like Jerron Armstead. If I was general manager, I would be looking into that because Dwayne Brown's not getting any younger. Armstead's got a lot of football left in front of him. I believe he's five, maybe six years younger than Dwayne Brown, and he's a former All-Pro. He's going to cost a lot of money, though. Tackles get paid way more than guards and centers do. So I think the name that's got to jump out immediately, I watched him play last night, Brian Allen. We just talked about that familiarity with the scheme with Shane Waldron, Andy Dickerson. They both were on the staff in L.A. Brian Allen was there. Allen's 28 years old, going to be 29 next season. So he is in the prime of his career. He fits what these two guys, Waldron and Dickerson, want to do. He's more of a zone-oriented blocker. I think you're going to see a shift towards those kind of players being the ones the Seahawks are going to want to bring in. And you know he's going to know the system. He's got the age working for him. And I don't think he's going to be somebody that you're going to have to break the bank necessarily to get. The Rams are going to have a hard time keeping a lot of their players. I think he is going to be a free agent that they could make a very strong push for. And oh, by the way, he was a top 10 graded center on Pro Football Focus last year for whatever that's worth. So this is a guy that's got a good reputation, maybe not the household name, but he's got the connections with the coaches here in Seattle from their time together with the Rams, and he fits the scheme he just seems like the name that jumps out to me, and I think that's the more realistic move for them to make than go after a big-name left tackle like Teron Armstead, as great as it sounds. Yeah, that's the thing. And I'm happy that you mentioned uh, Toronto Armstead there again, because he's the other one of these tackles, Corbin, who I think that really does fit in with that zone blocking scheme. Uh, you, you look up the the numbers that Toronto Armstead put up um, as, uh, you know, just during the, in the combine workouts and things like that coming out of Arkansas Pine Bluff. And this guy was just a true freak of an athlete. And as you said, it would cost an awful lot of money. But, you know, you have to figure out what you're going to be doing with Russell Wilson here. Um, you know, he, of course, is going to be coming up in, in his contracts. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk that Seattle's going to look to ultimately trade him or, or allow him to leave. If Seattle is in fact convinced that Russell Wilson is the guy. And I think that most of us believe that is the case. Then I, I think that you have to reassure him because as you mentioned, Dwayne Brown is not getting any younger. If you make that type of big time investment in the left tackle, you, you make the type of you know of move to maybe uh, extend DK Metcalf and things like that. I think it's that much easier to convince number three that he is going to be competing for Super Bowls here in Seattle in the future. Yeah, I think that's the one real argument for the Seahawks to throw the checkbook at Teron Armstead. And we'll have a chance to look at that more in depth as we go deeper into the offseason because I do think that that is a topic. 
that is going to come up time to time. I would not be surprised if the Seahawks are taking a look. They're going to look at that market because there are some other left tackles that are significantly younger that would make sense. But you also have to look from the cost standpoint and how well Dwayne Brown played the last eight or nine games last season. It still looks like he's got some football in him. He's still in outstanding shape. And so, again, center is the position to me was the weakest link on this offensive line. I like Jake Curhan like you do. I think that that is a position you could maybe bring Brandon Shell back on an affordable deal to compete against him or Jamarco Jones even. But I don't think you need to make a splash move there. Bring in a worthy competitor to push him, a guy that has started some games in the league. You could draft a player at one of those tackle positions as well. Maybe Stone Forsythe gets some action to right tackle. There are a lot of moving parts here. But I think if it's, if it's one position out of those three, that we have seen time and time again has been a problem for the Seahawks. It has been the pivot position. It's been center. They need an upgrade over Ethan Posick. You could bring Posick back as a sixth man, kind of that flex lineman, and I'd have no issue with that. But you can't move into another season with him being the guy, being your starter. They've got to make an upgrade there. So to me, I agree with the fans on our poll. 71%, I agree with you. I think center is the position, maybe not a splash signing, but they got to get an upgrade at that position to really help anchor this offensive line. And I think the rest of the line will fall in place off of that move. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make sure to check out Locked on Bets as your second listen, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, streaming on YouTube five days a week coming up on our show tomorrow it's become an annual tradition after the super bowl it's time to unveil our offensive blueprint how to get the seahawks back to the super bowl this year is going to be a little bit more challenging they were a 12 win team last year seven and ten last place in the nfc west this year but we've got a formula on offense to get the seahawks back to the Super Bowl. You won't want to miss this episode, one of our favorite shows of the year. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.